0: sermon is brought to you by Shattered State Chi Alpha. As you listen, we hope that you enjoy it and that it helps you in your walk. Please visit our website in the information below and drop us a message. We would love to hear from you. It is, it is so good to be back to Chi Alpha. It has been a long, long week. So... Uh, We had district council last week, which I want to thank Matt for filling in for me. I haven't listened to a sermon yet, and the reason why I haven't listened, so there's a good chance that it wouldn't be sweet if I preached the same sermon as he preached last week. You would know that God was trying to tell you something, but I haven't had a chance to listen to it because that's how busy we have been. Um, We went to district council uh, Monday morning. We left at like 7 or 8 in the morning. Then we got back Wednesday late night, And then had enough time to get our leadership retreat planned, and then we left for our leadership retreat all weekend. We got back Sunday late, just in time for me to write my sermon for tonight, and then I didn't get it posted. So, I'm sorry, it's not posted. This week we'll be in 2 Timothy. But I want to tell you, after our leadership retreat, we've got a great group of leaders. And so... Be looking out next year is going to be awesome. I had so much fun on that retreat. If you're jealous, you should be. It was a great retreat. It was awesome. It was fun. We had a blast. We heard an awesome song from Taylor. If you're curious, we might just play it to close out tonight. It was, it was a pretty sweet song. Very catchy. It was fabulous. <laughs> Said it sounded rehearsed. Okay. So, how many of you guys have a car that is like your baby, or you've had a car that's like your baby in the past. Like you actually put up money for it, you actually went out and you picked what car you wanted, you made the details on it, and it was, it's like your car. I mean, you guys, show of hands. You have like your car is your baby. Do you remember those of you guys that raise your hands? Do you remember the first time you let someone borrow your car? And maybe any of you guys have, and you just remember, and oh, it was such a such an ordeal to let somebody borrow your car. Because I remember my first car. It was a 91 Camaro. I had finally gone out, and I decided to go ahead and buy my own car. It wasn't the first car I ever drove, but it was my first car. And that thing was my baby. I love that thing so much. It was, it was, yeah, my baby. I don't know what other way to proclaim my passion for this car, but I loved this thing. I actually still own it. It's at my mom and dad's house. But I remember... The brakes were going out in it. How I many of you guys know when when your brakes start going out, you should probably change them pretty quick because as they continue to go out, it, it only gets worse. Well, my brakes were going out, and it was getting to that point where, you know, when you start hitting your brakes and uh, the entire town knows that you're slowing down? I started slowing down, in Colorado State, Fort Collins, would be like, oh, Taylor's Tanner's at a stoplight again. Sounded like a, a banshee coming down the street. You know what I'm talking about that kind of noise. Oh, she's just Tanner again. Yeah. It was bad. It was really bad. But I was in school in Fort Collins, and so I didn't have time to, 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 to take it into a shop, and I didn't have the money to take it into a shop. So I needed to bring it back to my dad's house so that my dad could go, could go through it and fix everything that needed to be fixed. Because at this point, I was pretty sure it needed more than just brakes. So I I bring it back, and I let my dad borrow my car long enough to fix it. And I can remember very vividly, right off the bat, my dad's driving my car to work, and he hits three deer. Not one, not two, three deer with my car the very next day after I let him borrow it so that he could fix my brakes. Three deer. And with the brakes going out... And the, the screaming banshee coming at the deer, you would think Wah! the deer would jump out of the way, but apparently when a banshee comes, deer just stop in the middle of the road. But fortunately, the brakes worked just well enough for my ba- my dad to slow down enough that I only really did damage to the front bumper. Just don't understand how you can have that much noise coming at you and you don't flee. I don't know, a deer... Deer is my excuse and my reasoning for why evolution isn't real because you would think we'd have killed all the stupid deer off by now. I personally have killed five deer with my cars driving back and forth from Shadron to Hemingford. That's impressive. That's not even including the ones that I've killed with a gun. You would think that, you know, that's a different topic. I'm getting off on a rabbit trail. But if you know that feeling and you know That feeling of handing off your baby to somebody else, that car. Now, I think twice when I hand my car over to my dad. I actually handed my car over to my dad to let him borrow it one more time. And uh, it was when I had my Firebird and he had it for an hour and he scraped up one of my rims. I don't hand over cars to my dad anymore. (laughs) How many of you guys know that feeling? You guys are lying because how many of you have ever given your phone to somebody else? I know your phone is your baby, and you know that moment of panic when you go to hand your phone over to somebody else. You're like, oh, what was I looking at? You guys know what I'm talking about. You're lying to me. I know you do. I know you know that feeling. Well, basically, what's going on here in Timothy where we're getting ready to read is Paul is handing over his baby to Timothy. He's handing over his ministry to Timothy. And he's taking the time, and he's writing to Timothy, and he's saying, hey, I'm gonna give you some advice. I'm gonna let you know some things. You know, like in my story, when I handed my car over to my dad, I was like, all right, when you start it, let it warm up, like maybe two, three minutes, it takes a little while to get going, and then you know, watch out for deer. That would be what I would say as to what Paul said to Timothy. So Paul is writing to Timothy about ministry, and Paul is trying to set him up for success. He's trying to make sure that his baby is in good hands. Now think about something for me. And, and I want to, to get you to think a certain way before we go into the scripture. What Paul is handing off to Timothy, the, the ministry that Paul is handing off to Timothy, this baby, this baby is him, this, this task that he's trying to, to give to him of spreading the gospel and keeping the faith and fighting the good fight is the same ministry That God has given us today. So when you're reading this and you're thinking about this baby being passed on, imagine as if it's being passed on to you and me. Think of it as if God himself is is setting it up so whoever gave, you know, whoever led you to Christ is passing on this ministry to you. Does that make sense? All right, we're going to be in 2 Timothy 2. You then, my son, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. 25 times. 25 times in, in the book of Timothy does Paul tell Timothy to be strong. If Paul has to tell Timothy 25 times to be strong, what's likely going on in Timothy's life? He's probably feeling pretty weak, is he not? When you have to be encouraged and you have to be reminded over and over and over again, it's usually an area that you're not exactly thriving in. Paul keeps telling them, you got this. It's hard. Be ready. But you've got this. Be strong. Because oftentimes in our walk with Christ and in our our daily lives, we need way more reminders about something then times we need to be told fresh. As in we can be told something, but we're going to need a lot more reminders than we are going to be told the first time of things. We're going to need to be constantly reminded. And so today I'm going to be reminding you, I know I've told you this before, and I know uh, that all of you have probably heard this sermon, but today I am reminding you that you have an enemy. You have an enemy that Scripture tells us is like a roaring lion, lion seeking out those to devour. Today I'm reminding you that there is a very real enemy in which we are fighting, and it's not it is, it's not like the enemy is like a, a rabbit coming to bite your heel or or a snake that you can sign. It's a roaring lion seeking out those to devour. Oftentimes when we begin to feel beat down and we begin to feel just tired and weak and and chewed up and spit out, a lot of times when that is going on in our lives, it is because we forgot something. It's because we forgot that there is a battle going on. It's because we forgot that there is a war at hand. We forget that we are in the war. We forget that when we said, I do, to Jesus Christ, that that automatically enlisted us into this battle. Like if you could imagine it for a second. Imagine someone who's in the military. They're getting ready. They're suiting up, getting ready to go out for for a battle. They're getting all their gear on. They're getting ready to go. And they go out. And then all of a sudden, the enlisted soldier comes flying back comes running into the general's office. General, there's people shooting at me. And the general is like, what did you expect? I don't know. I just thought I'd be stationed in Hawaii, and I, I thought I'd get to take vacations. I don't know. I thought that, you know, we would just drive around and people would respect us and that everything was going to be easy. Jennifer is probably going to look at him and be like, you're an idiot. Get back out there. But a lot of times in our Christian walk, it, it plays out that way. We're enlisted in this battle, and then when times come against us, when the enemy is actually shooting at us, we panic, we freak out, we go back, and we're like, God, why is everything going wrong? And God's replying, what did you expect? I've, I've told you many, many times that you are in war that you have an enemy, that your enemy is real. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier for Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. See, the enemy's goal, the enemy's goal isn't to just get you so caught up in in meth and and crack and and addiction that you forget you're in a battle. Now, for some people, that is their struggle, and that is a very real area, but for the most of us who are dedicated Christians, the enemy's goal is to get you so caught up in building your kingdom that you forget about building Christ's kingdom, especially in America, We get so caught up in building our lives that we forget to spread the gospel. We get so caught up in in building the American dream that we become irrelevant to God's plan. See, the enemy wants us as Christians to follow a different commander. To no longer follow our orders. To follow our own orders. And not necessarily God's orders. Like, think about it. When God gives us a command, whether it's in scripture or whether it's verbal, and he gives us a command, and we respond with like, hmm, I'm okay. And God's like, you're okay. And we're like, yeah, I kind of want my life to go down this path. I'd like it to be set up this way. I'd like for things to be more fun. I just really want to experience life. And God's like, bro, I'm God. I'm pretty sure I have a better idea of the way things should look. And we're like, yeah, I know. I'm Tanner. Glad we're past that. I know that's a little exaggerated, but is that not what we can often do with our actions? It's as if we actually say that to God and we, we come across that ignorant. So we'll be reading scripture and we'll come across a piece that talks about how God will empower us and, and we can do all things through Christ, Christ who strengthens us. And we're like, yeah, that's awesome. I, I totally buy into that. I'm strong. I can be strong because of God. And then we come to another part where it talks about our sexual immorality. It talks about not getting drunk. It talks about, you name it. And we're like, eh, this book's a little bit outdated. We've come to enlightenment. I don't want to follow something that's so 300 years ago. We're in modern times. See what Paul's saying here is Christian, you are in a battle, you are in a war. If you're struggling, Come back to the picture, and let's see if maybe you've forgotten that. Because if you get to a point where you forget you're in a battle, you've already lost it. If you get to a point where you forget we're in war, you're already losing. See, and Paul's saying, I just want to remind you that there is a lion seeking to destroy you, and don't forget you're in a war. Continuing in verse 5, it says, Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Like, seriously, think about it. Could you imagine someone who's getting ready to run a marathon? They're all ready to go. They're, they got their, their gear on, their, their lightweight shorty shorts The marathon runners wear. They're getting ready to go. The gun goes off, and they run over. They hop on a motorcycle. They fly through the marathon race, get to the end, hop off, walk across the finish line like, boom, yeah, I'm the winner. That's got to be a world record. And everybody's standing around looking like, wow, you are an idiot. Get out of here. What are you doing? They're like, no way. I'm totally number one. I just dominated all these people. People are like, uh, no, it's a marathon. There's, there's rules. There's regulations. There's things you got to do, like run. <laughs> and you're like, why would somebody be so stupid to run a marathon? No, I won. But how many times when it comes to things of God, we're just like, God, I want to be on your team. I want to be on the winning team. I'm ready to go. I'm good to do this. I'm ready, I'm prepared, I'm showing up to the fight, I'm showing up to the race. But then when it comes down to it, we absolutely refuse to follow Christ's rules. We refuse to follow what Christ laid out for us. We want things done our way, the way our life is supposed to look. We want to just start this walk with Christ and then show up at the finish line and have Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. But we're not willing to actually put in the effort to run the marathon. See, Jesus warned us many, many times about storing up our treasures on earth, advising us to store up our treasures in heaven because what would it be worth to gain the whole world but lose your soul? And continuing, Scripture says, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Now, perhaps the soldier image didn't really work out for you and you're not quite grasping it. And then the the marathon, you tuned out at the word marathon, like often most people do. But this farmer one, you're kind of catching the drift a little bit. So I want you to picture this. You're driving out outside of town. You see this, this farmer... Just flying around in a combine. Just going to and fro all over the place. Just being an idiot. He's got it as fast as it can go. Hold like 20 miles an hour. Just flying. You stop him and you're like, dude, I've seen you going all around with this thing. What on earth are you doing? The farmer's like, well, I'm looking for a crop to harvest. They were like, "Uh, where's your land at? He's like, oh, I don't own any land. What? Okay, so whose land are you renting? Oh, I didn't rent anybody's land. Well, where'd you plant your crops at? Oh, I didn't plant any crops. I'm just looking for a crop to harvest. I want to show up. I want the good part. I don't want to take the time to actually grow the plant. I want to just show up and get my payday. Again, you'd probably look at him and utter some form of the phrase, you're an idiot. But how many times have we done that spiritually? We just want the spiritual rewards. We want to be close to God. We want to be intimate with God. But we don't want to play by his rules. We don't want to take the time to actually... Build a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We don't want to fight the fight. We just want to show up once the crop's already ready to go. And we just want to be there for the reward. See, I feel like in America as a whole, Christianity is just that. I feel like we're, we're a country full of Christians who has spent more time buying into the American dream and the idea of the American dream than we have the idea of what God's will is. We've spent more time looking for the American American dream than we've spent serving God. See, the desire for instant gratification is growing exponentially day after day. A few weeks ago, I was watching TV at Applebee's after one of Courtney's appointments, and on this on this video, there was a, it was a fishing show, and I'm watching it for like a whole five minutes, and within that five minutes, they catch three big, huge fish from a lake not not ocean fish, but huge lake fish, and I'm talking like four foot big old fatty fish. I mean, just boom, right, one right after each the other, the, uh, one right after another. I started thinking to myself, I wonder how long they actually had to film in order to come up with that five minutes worth of footage? Like I mean, how many days were they out on that lake in order to come up with five minutes worth of them catching three big fish? And I thought about it and I was like, How often do I feel like that? Like I'm watching this show and I'm, I'm like, man, that is so awesome, I want to go do this. So I get my dreams and my hopes up and I, and I get all my, my fishing gear and I go out to the lake and I'm there for like five minutes and because I haven't caught anything, I'm already frustrated. I'm already like, why aren't these fish coming? I saw those dudes do it on TV in five minutes, why can't I do it? See, because behind the scenes we don't get to see that they were out on the lake for like four or five days maybe. But we just want the instant gratification without actually putting in the effort. See, how many of us want those three big, huge fish to catch, but when someone comes up to us and they're like, ah, I can get you those three fish. But we're probably going to be out on the water for like three or four days all day. All day. How many of us then would be like, oh, I think I'm, I'm all right. I don't really want to catch some fish that bad. It looked cool, but now that the effort's in front of me, it doesn't seem too thrilling. See, I know we do this as a society because we spend all day on Facebook. We spend our time on our phones looking at other people's lives and their successes and feeling a little bit jealous sometimes. Well, how come they get to buy a new car? I work all day, every day, and I don't get to buy one. Oh, how come they get to do this? This isn't fair. See, what Paul's saying is, take a second. I just want to remind you. I just want to remind you that you're in a war, that you're in a battle, that you're in a fight. And I know I've personally told you guys this every single week, it seems like, for 40 weeks, for however many weeks, quite a few but today i want to remind you that you're in a war that you are caught up in a battle it's something so simple that it becomes super easy to forget sometimes this is like the basics information of your faith once you've given your life to christ it's one of the first things anybody should ever tell you is bro you're in a war You're going to need some help. Here's a Bible. You're going to need to read this. You've given your life to Christ. The enemy's going to come and try to take that away from you. You need to be prepared. It should be one of the very first things we're ever told. And so because of that, it becomes one of the very first things, I believe, that we forget. See, Paul's saying this from prison. Paul's in jail. He's on his deathbed. The reason he's writing to Timothy is because he's starting to feel like his end The the end of his life is coming. He's like, hey, Timothy, I I know I'm only going to be here for a little bit longer, but I want to remind you of something. Don't forget that we're in a war. Don't forget. And so as I stand before you today, and we've only got a few more weeks left before you go off to summer, I want you to be prepared before you go off to summer, before you go home. And I'm giving you ample time to take that time to be ready for this battle. Summer can be a battle for some of us. And I want to take the, a moment and remind you that God's commands are more important than any of our own missions. And you got dreams of going back home and working all summer and making all kinds of money and all this stuff. But don't forget that you're in a war. See, because if you're a believer, and I want you to, to, to comprehend this, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this life is literally the closest thing to hell that you will experience. If you believe in Jesus Christ and he is your personal savior, then this life is the closest thing to hell you will ever experience. But for the non-believers, this life is the closest thing to heaven that they'll ever get to experience. This is the worst it can get for you Talking about eternity, this is the worst for you. And yet that is the best for someone who doesn't believe in Christ. See, but I don't know if you guys know this. Around the world, there is actual just phenomenal revivals going on. So I know in America, we can feel like Christianity is a dying religion. The media wants to tell us it's a dying religion. It's a dying faith. It's outdated. It's archaic. It's in decline. But around the world, Christianity is growing. There's a huge revival going on. It's been going on for 100 years in Africa. So just to kind of remind you guys of this, give you guys this picture, give you some inspiration. Because I know in America it feels hard because we feel like our religion is dying and our beliefs are starting to be eroded away from us. The things that we hold so dear are just constantly being eroded by our, our country and our government. So I'm going to give you some statistics. These are actual statistics taken from reputable sources. Uh, the main source is from the International Bulletin of Missionary Research. But this also comes from as common of a resource as Wikipedia. And I went and I double-checked all of these sources so you can know that... that even the mainstream media and mainstream sources are reporting this the same as the Christian sources. So there has been tremendous growth in the number of Christians in Africa. Only 9 million Christians were in Africa in 1900. 9 million in the entire continent in the, in the year 1900. But by the year 2000, there were an estimated 380 million. Much of the recent Christian growth in Africa has actually been due to American evangelism and not by our missionaries. Nigeria holds the largest amount of Christians in Africa at more than 80.5 million. According to a Pew Research report, this proves ironic because Nigeria now houses a higher Protestant population than Germany, which was the birthplace of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. Africa has also seen the fastest growth in Christian population from 1910 to 2010 with a 60-fold increase. Africa, home to 8.7 million Christians in 19, 9 million Christians, just shy of 9 million Christians in 1900, today has more than 542 million Christians today. If you know your population numbers of continents, you'll realize that 542 million Africans is actually more than half. More than half of the continent of Africa are now Christians. That means the Earth's second most populous continent is over half Christian. Man, that's awesome. That's exciting to me. And they also have estimated that if the current growth rate continues to grow faster and faster like it has, that there will be 1.2 billion Christians in the continent of Africa by 2050. 1.2 billion Christians by the year 2050. Now, if you also understand populations, that would mean that by the year 2050, there will actually be more Christians in the continent of Africa than there currently has a population in the continent of Africa. The continent of Africa is 1.12 billion people And they're saying that by the year 2050, if the current growth rates continue by 2050, there will be 1.2 billion Christians in the continent of Africa. Christians were 32.4, and this is the world, not just Africa. The whole world, Christians were 32.4% of the world's population in the year 2000. And it is now 33.4% today. That is an increase of 1% over the last 16 years. So Christianity as a whole on the global scale has increased 1%. Now that might not seem like a lot, but in 15 years, that's an increase, a net increase of 71 million Christians. In 15 years, that's an average of 4.5 million Christians per year net increase. That's not the new Christians, that is the net increase, because as populations increase and The death and life ratio, that's a 4.5 million net increase in the total number of Christians. With projections saying that by the year 2025, there will be 33.7% of all people on earth will be Christian. And by 2050, 36% of the population will be Christian. And I know that can be kind of overwhelming. I'm throwing a lot of statistics out at you. But what that tells me, and and I did a a lot of research on this, finding different places. I chose Africa because it was the the most inspiring to me. The net increase of over 60-fold in 100 years is pretty awesome to look at. But it told me that in a day and age where our media here in America is trying to tell us that Christianity is dying, that churches are closing, Christianity can't survive, that secularism is, is reigning king, and, and atheism is the new bee's knees And what we believe, that in reality, Christianity is growing. God's word is being spread. There is revival going on in Africa. Africa now sp- sends out more missionaries than America does. And that's the countries like Europe. I actually know uh, an African missionary to the state of Nebraska in Omaha. Their missionaries are sending people back over here because they're like, your country's dying. You need our help. So why Africa and not America? Why Christianity in Africa is growing so fast and in America as a whole, it is dying. I think it comes down to what I'm saying today. In America, in American Christianity, we forgot which war we're fighting. American churches have this idea that even though Jesus Christ suffered, even though the disciples suffered and were killed, Paul writes this this letter to Timothy in prison. That in America, we have the God to stand here and say, God, give me an easy life. I'm mad at you because my life isn't easier. I want an easy life. I want a two-story house. I want a picket fence. I want things easy. See, in Africa, they're fighting the right fight. And today, I want to remind you of the world we're fighting. So to encourage you guys to kind of bring this all to a close today, I want to encourage you. So let's go back to the very first piece of scripture we read today in 2 Timothy. It starts out like this. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Do you know why you can do all these tough tough things in life? Why you can withstand maybe even being tortured and killed for Jesus? Why when the the world seems tough and, and everything doesn't seem like it's going right, why you can still fight? Why you can still serve Christ? Why you can keep... Jesus' commands. It's because we are strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. You are strong in the grace that is Jesus Christ. You are strong. I don't care what you're stuck in. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what your past sin is. I don't care what mistakes you've made even walking into this place. You are strong. This is the closest to hell you will ever get. You are strong because Jesus Christ covered you in grace. He's saying, you're a son. You're a daughter. You are an heir to the throne. You are an heir to the throne. It has been done. And today, you just need reminded of that. Let us pray. Jesus, you are enough. Your grace is enough. You've paid the price. You did what it takes. The war is already over. We know you're going to win. We know you have won. So God, I just ask you would help to remind us what war we're fighting, what battle we're in, what we're fighting for, who we're fighting. It's not a fight against our teachers. It's not a fight against mom and dad. It's not a fight against our brothers and sisters. It's not a fight against that stupid kid in English class that always picks on me. He's not stupid. He just doesn't know Jesus yet. And so, Lord, help remind us who we're fighting. Help remind us the war that we're in. Help remind us every day to prepare, to put on the armor of God, to be ready to fight in season and out of season. Jesus, I want to thank you because it is all about you. It is all about what you have done. Not what I can do, not what I can dream of, not the the things I think need to be done. It is about you and it is what you have done. Not only on the cross, but in my life. We love you, Jesus. And tonight we remember and we thank you that because of you, we are an heir to the throne. We thank you that because of what you've already done thousands of years ago, you make us strong. It is your strengths. It is what you've done. We just hope that we can give you the glory that at the end of the race, it was all for you. Lord we love you and it's in your name, we pray. Amen. So tonight, as you leave, I remind you one more time, to remember that you're in war and to remember what you're fighting for and to remember what you're fighting against.